Have you ever wondered how far your real estate career could take you? And have you dreamed about climbing that management level where you can build, lead and grow high level real estate corporations? If so, today's episode is a pretty special one and it's the one for you. Our international guest is not only an industry thought leader, she's also the president, CEO of the Realogy Expansion Brand Portfolio. She's also an insightful brand builder and a social media savvy CEO. I'm talking about the one and only Sherry Chris. Welcome to episode 24 of the Build Your Best Life video podcast series. I'm your host, Sherry Stora. I'm a hardworking real estate agent and a sales coach. And it's my mantra to build your best life and I have been doing exactly this. And throughout this podcast series, you'll learn how you can grow your GCI, your revenue and your income by implementing tried and tested systems and structures. You'll also learn how you can grow and build your own team EBU and agency, and how you can truly harness your real estate career in order to provide you with the wealth and the freedom that you've always dreamt of. So if this is the life that you want to live, make sure that you do subscribe to this podcast series so you get notified every single Tuesday when the episodes go live. Now, in addition to working exclusively with a select number of agents and agencies one-on-one all around Australasia, I also have my foundational coaching program, the Build Your Best Life Coaching Program. Now, this is a great structure because not only does it come with webinars and coaching forums, it also comes with the success manual, which is a wonderful handbook that comes out quarterly. This program is all designed to not only provide you with the templates, but also the accountability to help you revolutionize your career and truly level up. And as a part of this podcast series, I am giving away a freebie, which is a great example of one of these templates. Now, this particular uh, freebie is all around goal setting. So what it's going to do is it's going to help you set how much GCI you want to, to work towards, how many properties you need to list, how many properties you need to sell and how many listing presentations you need to do. On top of all of that, it's going to personalize it and work it just for you. So look, if you want this little cheat sheet, if you want this freebie, go check out my website, sherrystore.com forward slash level up and start goal setting today. I would love to shout out List Ready for not only sponsoring today's episode, but the entire of series one. List Ready, thank you so much for supporting my concept of giving exceptional quality information and knowledge and education to agents all around Australasia in order to level up their businesses. If you haven't heard of them as yet, go and check them out, list-ready.com.au. Quite simply, they are the leading tech option and VPA finance option here in Australia. So today's guest is Sherry Chris, who is the CEO and president of Rheology's Expansion Brands Portfolio. She heads up and she oversees strategic growth for better homes and gardens, in addition to ERA, and she does this globally. Now, on top of all of this, Sherry Chris has been known as being an industry thought leader, and in fact, she has been crowned seven times one of the most influential um, hundred lists, according to Inman. Please welcome to today's podcast, Sherry Chris. So Sherry, hi, and welcome to the Build Your Best Life video podcast series. I am so excited to have you here. I'm excited to be with you today, Sherry. Always good to see you, whether it's in person or virtually. <laughs> well, screen virtually. <laughs> well, screen to screen is certainly a lot more of the norm now and the accepted norm, but 
we always kind of have a bit of a joke about the the two sherries. So it's it's nice that we're exactly. going to finish up <laughs> this series with um with you. And I remember the last time we saw each other face to face was actually in Inman at the Inman conference in 2019 in New York, and it was arctically cold. Do you re recall? I remember that. Yes. Well, you know, we're used to cold weather here, so um, <laughs> it's all part of the norm. <laughs> but we first originally met when you came out to Australia in 2018 um, with the launch of Better Homes and Gardens and that brand sort of coming out and, and taking a, a stronghold here in the nation. And like all of Australia, mm -hmm. I totally fell in love with you. And I think all mm -hmm. of all the country and all of the agents totally fangirled over you. And um, and since then, you know, you have gone on from being the CEO of Better Homes and Gardens globally to now having a very kind of unique role and you are now the president of the um, Rheology. Sorry, I keep saying that incorrectly. The Rheology. Rheology. Rheology, yeah. thank you. The Rheology Expansion Brands Portfolio. So tell me a little bit about your role and what it is that you do. Well, you know, it's really um, overseeing two brands instead of one. So uh, that happened last fall, fall of 19. And uh, just taking best practices from both brands that have a lot of uh, runway for growth and applying those best practices, overseeing uh, two servicing teams, marketing teams, uh, sales teams, and uh, just helping both of those brands grow. So just expanding what I know how to do best. And I'm excited because uh, I, I really love both of the brands. Uh, they're both very, very strong and deep brands culturally. So for me, uh, it uh, you know, was kind of a dream come true. So very excited about it. <laughs> well, look, I think, you know, what's quite interesting, and we were just talking about this before, is that a lot of agents here in Australia may not have heard of, of, um, of Realogy. So can you tell us a little bit about the organization? Of course. So Realogy is the largest real estate company in the world. We are in over 120 countries. We have six brands. Those brands are Coldwell Banker, Century 21, ERA, Better Homes and Gardens, Sotheby's, and Corcoran. So those are our six brands and uh, we're actually growing all of our brands, both within the US and beyond. And so uh, it's a great company actually, because one of the things that we're able to do is, is take the backend efficiencies and spread them across all of our brands. So that uh, creates best practices across the six brands and then each brand has its own unique value proposition within the industry for broker owners, for agents, um, and ultimately the end consumer. Which is so interesting. And I, I think it's incredibly powerful in terms of being able to multiply that experience across a number of different brands. Yet we haven't seen that as much here in, in Australasia. So I'm sure that we're going to see some, some changes soon. But clearly, you know, I mean, this is, this is absolutely um, remarkable and amazing. But evidently, you must be a fan of the franchise model for this to be rolling out and growing the way that it is. So, you know, what benefits do you see that franchises kind of offer to both the business model um, and the business owner in addition to the agents? Well, you have a business partner. So what I, you know, I've always been um, 
in the franchise industry for the bulk of my career, first in Canada uh, and, uh, you know, for the last many years in the U.S. And I like it because uh, broker owners continue to own their business, yet they have a branding partner, a marketing partner, a technology partner, a best practices partner, really a partner in Realogy that has over 300,000 agents around the world. And uh, it, we're able to draw on what everyone is doing well and share. And so now more than ever, because uh, Sherry, as you know, technology is um, more and more sophisticated and will be even more so. And so what I find is it's a challenge for the small to medium sized brokerage to go it alone. Uh, without having someone or a company to rely on. Now, you know, what we've just gone through and continue to go through with COVID-19 is a great example because, you know, imagine being a small company all by yourself. Uh, there were here in the U.S. so, you know, many uh, different um, assistance opportunities to apply for. One of the first things that we did at Realogy is we set up COVID sites for our broker owners um, and our agents and gathered all of the information from, uh, you know, the various state governments, uh, the federal government, the National Association of Realtors, and put all of that uh, in one place and quite frankly helped our brokers and agents apply for the assistance that they needed and wanted. And, um, and helped them in many ways uh, get through this uh, now in week 13 uh, period of time that we've gone through. I, I personally wouldn't have wanted to be on my own. I mean, it was great to have that, um, uh, you know, the umbrella of Realogy um, certainly during this time. And that support structure. I love what you say there about uh, having a true partnership. And, you know, this podcast series has very much been about people's journeys and their skill sets. And, and certainly, you know, today, you know, I want to explore your career path and, and your journey. And, you know, I think in our industry, we, um, we don't really have a lot of, of people that we see out in the limelight who are true powerful sort of CEOs like, like you are. So I'm keen to sort of get in and talk about your journey today. But first of all, I mean, you are an, an amazing leader. I'm really keen to understand what is your definition of good leadership? Well, you know, I think that uh, leadership um, is something that uh, many leaders are able to do naturally. Um, and some not so natural, but they've been trained to, to lead the troops. And so leaders um, and, you know, step up uh, no matter what the opposition is and find a way to do something right um, and lead the troops through um, scenarios that are challenging, uh, the good times. Um, empathy is an important um, characteristic of a strong leader. Um, I like to personally practice what I call servant leadership. So really I'm at the bottom of uh, the rung, so to speak, uh, propping up the broker owners and agents and uh, providing that type of leadership uh, where my job is to serve them and the job of my team is to serve our brokers and agents. And so uh, not every leader practices servant leadership. Uh, many do in a one way or another, but uh, it's something that is very important to me and um, is uh, that's, you know, ties in 
very well with my natural leadership ability um, to serve others, whether it's within the industry, outside the industry, uh, people who need help, etc. So uh, that's what our industry is all about, to be honest. Agents and brokers are serving clients and uh, franchisees are serving our agents and brokers. So for that, I, I find value and, um, and a lot of comfort in doing what I do. Oh, I love that. And I think it's interesting what you say there about natural leadership. Um, so evidently, you know, you feel that you had some skill sets that you were born as, as a leader, but you must have also developed some, you know, over the years and spent some time really nurturing this. So, you know, even your explanation of servant leadership, I think is, is really powerful. Tell us a bit more about, you know, how you developed and how you really, you know, harnessed and finessed this. Well, you know, you uh, not this doesn't happen to everybody, but everyone has the opportunity to understand and develop the highest and best use of themselves as individuals, as um, family members, um, as leaders in business. So, Sherry, you've done it. You know, you um, figured out what you do best and you do it exceptionally well. And so what I, um, I call that finding the highest and best use of your natural skill set. And so for me, I started selling real estate when I was quite young, um, bought a house, um, thought I could do this better, got a real estate license, started selling. But I quickly realized that, you know, that wasn't going to fulfill my career dream. Um, I, I thought there was something different that I could do. I would never say that what I do is better than what anyone else does. In fact, the hardest job within our industry is that of a salesperson. Uh, you know, each and every day, uh, they're basically out of business until they get their next listing um, <laughs> or they make their next sale. I mean, that's frightening. And so I found my niche, so to speak. And that is helping uh, brokers and agents be the best that they can be, identifying new technology and tools and packaging everything together to, um, to really help uh, agents and consumers excel and um, to help the end consumer uh, feel as though we've exceeded their expectations. So by, you know, the, the home sale process should be one of extreme excitement for that buyer who's buying and the seller who's selling. And it's our job to exceed their expectations and surprise and delight them through the process. So that's what I love to do and uh, teach others how to do that as well, because this industry is incredible and there's really no industry like it where, you know, here in the U.S. we have 1.4 million independent contractors uh, that are out there uh, applying for a job each and every day. And the job that they're applying for is to be the agent of an end consumer. So it's fascinating, really. Well, I, I love what you're saying here, and I'm really keen to pick your brain. And we're going to talk about a little bit later on these tools and these technologies, because I think, you know, we're all keen to understand what is working really well in the States and how we can level up. 
But I think going back to, you know, you're talking about opening your, your first office, well, becoming an agent at, at 23 and, and about, you know, buying and, and selling your home and, and getting into the business. But you actually opened your first office when you're 27 in Canada. And, you know, I'm really interested to, and I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I am interested to think about and to hear about what you remembered from that particular time when you opened your first business um, and the risks and the rewards of that. Well, that's when I actually got my broker's license and uh, it wasn't my own business that I was opening, but I was opening a, an office for um, a company that I worked for and, uh, you know, was able to grow it significantly during that time period by really practicing what I just talked about. And uh, that is, uh, you know, being authentic. Uh, believing that you are the best person for the job that you're in. I mean, that's first and foremost, is that if you don't get up every morning and believe that you can excel at what you're doing, uh, that's your first problem that you have to solve uh, at the beginning of the day. So uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it's just, um, uh, it's what you do every day. And I know that people who are going to be listening to this and watching this will be nodding their heads and saying yes that's what I do every day and there will be a few that that don't um, and you know hopefully they will learn that uh, it really is up to you as an individual nobody is going to prop you up uh, nobody is going to pluck you out of a crowd and make you uh, the best person that you can be you have to do that and it starts with you well, I love talking about this self-belief because I'm sure over the years you've had a number of naysayers. How do you sort of overcome it when people are talking negatively or impacting you? How do you put the barrier up and keep going? You know, you just put blinders on and keep going. I mean, if I listened to every person that uh, didn't believe in me and didn't believe in what I was doing, uh, I wouldn't be in business today. And so uh, people, you know, there are people out there that choose to be negative uh, that uh, love to live their lives by being critical of others. And, you know, that's, uh, that's their issue to deal with. I just put my, my blinders on and I say blinders, like uh, as in a horse wears <laughs> blinders when they're racing on a racetrack. And because they don't want to look at the other horses, what they're looking at is the finish line and they're running towards the finish line. And so that's what I choose to do too. And, uh, you know, people want to waste their time uh, trying to find something negative in what others are doing. Uh, have at it. You know, uh, it it really uh, isn't the best way to get up every morning. No, uh, but, the best way to get up every morning is to believe in yourself. Yeah, but it is interesting because you know one of the things that has surprised me in my time of of you know working full time as a, a coach over the last three years is the amount of self doubt that people actually have. And sometimes it's very easy to get caught in a moment of listening to that. So I love the conversation about putting the blinders on and just focusing on that finish line and just going hard and doing what you need to need to do. But just as there's been naysayers, I suppose, which you've totally blocked out, we've heard that, there must have also been some people that have been very influential in your growth, not only as a human being, but also as a leader. You know, tell us a, a little bit about, you know, these people. Yeah, you know, um, I've, I was um, very fortunate to have uh, found mentors throughout my career. 
And um, they, those mentors, I identified and asked if they would mentor me. And that's what you have to do because people aren't just going to sit by the sidelines and, uh, uh, you know, uh, wait. Uh, you have to ask. And each of my mentors uh, was different during the time that I needed them for something, uh, starting very early on. And so that is, you know, that's some advice that I strongly recommend for uh, people who do have self-doubt. Let's face it, we all do from time to time. I mean, you know, I'm not an enthusiastic and positive person 24-7. Things do happen to us that set you back both personally and professionally. But uh, you need to have someone at your side that does believe in you. And um, I believe in coaching as well. In fact, you know, some people would be surprised to hear the fact that, you know, as most recently as three years ago, I went through a series of, uh, you know, professional coaching because I felt maybe I was, you know, um, a little off my game. And I um, took some coaching for six months and got back on my game. And so none of us as human beings are perfect, but you have to recognize when you do have that self-doubt and, and do something about it, which obviously, Sherry, your clients do, because if they're telling you as their coach uh, that they have self-doubt, they've hired you to, to help fix that. You know, uh, that's, uh, we don't know what goes on in someone's mind behind closed doors. We only see the, uh, you know, uh, the person when they want us to see them. Well, coaches are, you know, incredibly important. I think, you know, particularly somebody in your position has a public persona, but, you know, quite often what's on show is very different to what's underneath. And you don't know how to, how to lift and how to level up and change unless you actually are getting a different point of view and somebody that has the opportunity to bounce back. So I must admit, like you, I also work with a, a lot of coaches and sports mm -hmm. psychologists and so forth to make sure that my head's in the game and continually learning yeah. and growing. I mean, that's a, a key asset but um but i think you know just rewinding hitting that rewind button again you know 2006 you moved from canada you moved to the states and you know this was your first kind of gig with um with realogy and you were promoted to coo of Coldwell banker and then in 2008 you you know stepped up and you became the founding ceo of better homes and gardens which of course you have built and carved out an unbelievable niche and you know how did you come to you know moving up the ranks so quickly and being offered this position in essentially what was a startup you know it uh i was uh new in realogy and um started to make some changes in uh, the coldwell banker brand as coo and looked to create some efficiencies and i think that uh you know, I had the ear of the senior management and they felt that I would be a good choice based on my actions. So, you know, what uh, one of my CEOs told me uh, a long time ago is that you get paid for what you do from nine to five. I mean, none of us works from nine to five, but uh, you know what I'm talking about is that the job that you're hired for, your job description, you get paid your salary for that you move ahead uh, personally and professionally for what you do on top of that. And so there are so many examples that I see each and every day of 
people who wonder why they haven't moved ahead, yet they're not putting that extra in. I've always put the extra in. And uh, that's where uh, people notice what you're doing and opportunities come to you. Opportunities are uh, presented to you because of what you do. Um, it's not being in the right place at the right time, as some people might say, but um, it's because of what you do each and every day. And so there's a saying that I, um, I heard many years ago when I was at a conference and one of the speakers said to the group, and it always stuck with me, what he said was luck um, is a form of intelligence. So you know how people say, you know, you're so lucky, Sherry. Yeah. Uh, look what you've built. You're so lucky. Well, luck is a form of intelligence. Mm -hmm. What luck is, is being able to identify an opportunity and act upon it. That's what luck is. I love it. I'll be and definitely so, quoting you on right? that one. <laughs> Absolutely, because it's true when you think about it. You always have to be uh, on the lookout for opportunities. Mm. And that's how you get ahead. Well, evidently, you know, management was, was correct in terms of backing you because you took essentially a startup into this, you know, massive, unbelievable and global brand. But, you know, how, how did really, you know, you do this? Because right from the very beginning, it was a standout and what you had in mind was quite different to what was being implemented at, at this time. Um, you know, and what I sort of saw was people and getting consumers to fall in love with the brand instead of the... Um, I, I guess the process of buying and selling real estate. So tell us, how did you do this? Well, one of the things that we did, so, you know, it was a pure startup in a large public, what was going to be a public company. It was privately held at the time, but um, we researched what consumer um, trends were and what consumers were feeling, um, particularly young consumers. And um, back at that time, and it's even stronger today, is that young consumers, you know, we used to call them millennials, but that word became overused. Um, young consumers were looking to align themselves with brands that stood for something, that put a stake in the ground, uh, brands that gave back to the world in one way or another, um, brands that um, had a set of core values. And so we decided to launched the Better Homes and Gardens real estate brand with a stated set of core values. At the time, those values were passion, authenticity, um, innovation, growth, and excellence. And three years ago, we changed the I from innovation because every company's innovative today. I mean, you know, we're all innovative. Uh, there's no such thing as a technology company. It may be a company that sells technology. So we changed the I from innovation to inclusion. And that was a very, very important change for us because, uh, and it was, a, it was a bold change and it wasn't done in a vacuum. In fact, we reached out to a number of our brokers and ran the idea by them because, uh, you know, we felt that it was important to have that buy-in like we had the buy-in um, of you know our original values, many of our companies practice and use those same core values. So um, pretty well everyone was on board. A couple of companies said, you know, I really like innovation, so 
Um, is it okay if I continue to use it? Of course it is. The important thing is that you have a set of values that you live by each and every day. Uh, you know, we chose to rename one of ours, but uh, many of our brokers practice those same values. And if you have, you know, a foundation that you live by every day, it, it just makes you more powerful um, as an individual and, uh, you know, able to conquer the world right. in, in different ways. So that was an important piece of it. But of course, you know, the brand itself, Sherry, I mean, uh, if the brand has 96% awareness and in the US, it has 100% awareness in Australia. So, um, you know, you know that um, a brand that actually stands for something itself, the most trusted brand in America, uh, the brand, the go-to brand for, for cooking, for living your life, for design, uh, et cetera. And so that was the easy part, was just making sure that we took everything that the brand had to offer and the brand stands for and transported that over to real estate. So in many respects, it was uh, you know, easy, I'm going to say, uh, for me. Now, if somebody else uh, led the brand, they may not have looked at it the same way. So I'm happy they chose me and like with everything, I put my heart and soul into it for our brokers and our agents and in dealing with the consumer. Hi there, it's me, it's Sherry Stora, and I'm interrupting this interview with a special shout out to my sponsor, ListReady. Now, if you haven't heard of these guys, you need to go and check them out. Head to their website, list-ready.com.au because they are going to change how you look at VPA in this marketplace. And in fact, these guys really are the leading VPA finance solution in Australia. Now, there are a number of common themes that are running right throughout this podcast series and vendor paid advertising is most certainly one of them. Now, this is not just because it helps grow an agent's business, but it's really about delivering those exceptional outcomes to our sellers in terms of price and also in terms of timelines. I must admit, I do understand that as an agent, it can often be challenging for an owner to actually find those additional funds to prepare and market their home correctly. And by default, this kind of becomes the agent's issue. So I've always used you know, VPA finance solutions, but I never really found that overall encompassing kind of right option. That is until I heard about ListReady, and now you know why I'm so excited about them. I guess essentially what they do is they, they look at all costs, whether it be renovating, landscaping, marketing, or staging a home right up to $25,000. It's really simple to use, and in fact, at the listing presentation, you grab your phone and you complete an online application form, which literally takes a minute to complete. And within a couple of minutes, once there's approval, the funds will go directly into your trust account. So this is extremely powerful and important because there's no hidden costs, there's no hidden fees for real estate agents. It's really a service that's been bought out of necessity for agents to help their sellers achieve the best possible prices. And in fact, it is actually ListReady's mission statement to actually provide and be the best value for vendors. So look, if you haven't already, go and check out their website, list-ready.com.au, or alternatively, give them a call on 1300 254418. Well, I love what it is that you, you say here. I mean, the reason why you're so successful in so many ways is can be narrowed down to this 
passion that we're hearing. But, you know, the platform that you had to leverage off, you worked the consumers in addition to working with the independent contractors, the agents and the brokers. And so you had, you know, values and you weren't afraid to change that, which I think is really important. And it's important to be dynamic and progressive. And it's one of the things that as an industry um, we see and we struggle with a, l a little bit, particularly here over in, um, in Australasia. So I love what you're mentioning here about not being able to, to pivot. And this platform about the magazine and what the magazine had to offer, you leveraged and really, you know, kind of amped up the volume and, and pumped out the noise and, and pumped up the volume. But, you know, you also really embrace social media because this is talking back, you know, way back when 12 years ago, when social media was kind of just a notion and, and a concept. And, you know, this really became quite, quite big and, and a massive step in terms of growth in your business, didn't it? It really did. And so, you know, another unusual um, way to launch a brand back then was to launch it on Twitter and Facebook, and that's what we did, uh, and LinkedIn. Those were the three platforms back then. Everything's expanded now. And many people, again, were like, what are you doing? You know, why are you wasting your time on that? But I knew that it was the right thing to do. And of course, now everyone is using everything. But because we were early in, um, our engagement levels are uh, very high. Uh, and what we did, uh, this would be about five years ago now, uh, many real estate companies and, um, and brands, everyone has a Facebook account, uh, everyone has Twitter, and now Instagram, of course. And so what we did was, you know, we were looking at um, our Facebook page as an example, and saying this doesn't make sense, because we're posting um, you know, how to conduct an open house for an agent. And then the next post is design tips for the consumer. So um, it just didn't feel right. So what we did was we split the channels. And uh, so we have uh, two Facebook uh, channels. Now we have two um, Twitter channels. Uh, when we launched Instagram, it really is consumer focused. Uh, so it's all about uh, beautiful pictures and design. So we have one um, Instagram channel, but uh, in, in splitting them, what happened was the consumer uh, page for Facebook just took off and um, it's uh, very strong today. And, you know, as is the magazine, uh, very, very strong in social media. So today we're on Pinterest because it makes sense. And uh, the magazine brand Better Homes and Gardens is, you know, number one on Pinterest. They have millions and millions of viewers on Facebook. Um, Instagram has exploded for them. And uh, the, so the same with us. So we have an agency that manages uh, everything. And it's, you know, a large, um, it's a large item, a large expense item on our P&L is uh, managing social. And now we're uh, looking at, um, which, you know, I'll see the brief over the next couple of, of weeks, but uh, it's, uh, you know, how we can enter in a small way, uh, the world of TikTok uh, for yes. our business use. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I don't know, uh, you know, we have our agency looking at it right now. And so they're, they're coming to us with recommendations, but, uh, you know, you've got to get out in front of it and you can't be the, you know, you can't be the follower. With social, it doesn't matter how many 
uh, fans or friends you have, what matters is the level of engagement. And so, you know, if you have uh, 500,000 fans on Facebook, yet you only have 2% engagement, um, you've really only got like, you know, um, 5,000 people looking at, yeah, so that's nothing. My math is wrong there, but you get the point. <laughs> so um, it, social is, uh, and even in the, you know, the depths of the downturn or when we, you know, we're making budget cuts, which every company has to do. I mean, it's part of business. We never cut social. So I always said no. Um, you know, the marketing team would say, okay, here's what we have to do. And if we could cut this, I'm no, uh, we're not. And so, uh, because that's where people go. And now during COVID, I mean, everybody's online. Everyone is. So uh, those were good decisions. And now it's, again, it's like everyday business, uh, you know, what, what we do. And of course, Zoom now and Microsoft Teams, which we use extensively as well, is the way that, that we do business. And obviously you too. Uh, when, when COVID hit, uh, we were doing at a Realogy level. Um, and if you think about the fact that we have 12,000 employees, we've got you know hundreds of thousands of agents, the six brands. At the Realogy level, we were doing 75,000 uh, team or Zoom meetings per week. So oh, that's not me personally, but that's across all of our business. And so we had to quickly train our people on how to do that um, effectively, not just themselves, but customer facing as well. And so we're still tweaking that and uh, it's, um, it's getting pretty good, but it's not perfect yet. <laughs> well, I know during this time we were, we were talking right when things were heavy and in the thick of it and, you know, you sounded absolutely worn out from the amount of, you know, Zooms and, and, um, mm -hmm. and team meetings. So, um, hopefully... It was early on. Um, at, like, you know, I say that it's the, the three stages of COVID. Um, the first one was just, you know, uh, total chaos where we were over communicating to everybody which is exactly what we had to do because people were panicked. They were terrified there. What's going to happen with the market, the industry? Will people buy homes again? And the same, what's going to happen to Realogy? And uh, so that was the first phase. Then we came out of that and said, okay, we've got to, you know, somehow get this organized into business and which we've done that. And now phase three is, okay, we need to make this shine. Like this has to be perfect. And this has to be the way that our brokers and agents want to communicate with us because quite frankly, none of us really wants to get on a plane and uh, our brokers don't want to be, you know, welcoming us and saying, come on in uh, because we're all still distancing. Mm. And so, well, uh, you know, we, we need to shine. Well, I must admit, I can't stop smiling like a Cheshire cat because <laughs> I, like everything that you're saying when it comes to social and not cutting the budget and talking about, you know, how you rolled out and managed, you know, COVID and, and talking about shining now because it is the time to shine is mm -hmm. everything that I have been talking about for the last couple of months and been implementing. So it's nice to hear that the two Sherry's are of the same mindset. We're aligned. <laughs> We're always aligned. So, um, but look, I am really interested because... 
there is a reason why you are head of the expansion because you have grown the brand from essentially, you know, starting starting from from scratch and, and turning it into today. So I mean, significantly, you know, you're across forty states and six countries. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. the plan is to, you know, is to, you know, grow further and, and more globally. I think you have over four hundred offices. I watched an interview on doing this this research for our podcast that was way back when in, in 2013, talking about how it was your dream to have a London office. Is this still kind of on on the you know on the forefront of your mind? Well, absolutely. And so, you know, what we uh, what we know that we don't need to do. So things have changed a bit. So, uh, you know, let me back up a bit. And so uh, I will say uh, the ERA brand is in 39 countries. So they are um, a well-established brand outside of the U.S. Uh, in fact, they're larger by Asian count outside of the U.S. than uh, in the U.S. And so the goal for ERA is to grow more more uh, you know and significantly inside the US um, and the goal for BHG is also to continue to grow inside the US but also to grow in the right countries so uh, you know what the um, what some brands may do um, and I would never you know criticize anyone is just you know sell wherever and uh, you know without really, thinking about the future, you know, how is this going to grow, et cetera. So with BH&G, you know, obviously Australia was a, you know, complete no brainer because of the brand awareness and brand recognition. So now, uh, you know, the uh, growth in Asia is very important because, uh, you know, those are feeder markets, um, et cetera. And um, so that's what, uh, we want to concentrate on and we're looking at. And so what we're not necessarily looking at, but will certainly entertain it is, uh, you know, countries that are not connected in some way, because, you know, you want to, you want to be able to feed referrals back and forth mm. and, uh, you know, have it make sense strategically. Mm. So, uh, you know, going back to ERA, uh, the strategy in the past was to sell what we call mega masters. So, which is really the strategy that uh, we employed with BH&G in Australia as uh, our partner will continue to, you know, to grow the BH&G brand in Australia and beyond. But um, uh, strategy is more important than, um, you know, being the biggest. So I've always believed that wholeheartedly. So key there because quite often we do miss this um, as an industry and it is kind of that bums on seats mentality instead of, you know, really thinking about who are those people that we wish to work in our mm -hmm. business and partner with. And in fact, I was talking to Charles Tarby this morning who owns the major, um, the master franchise for not only Century 21, yeah. but for Better Homes and Gardens. Yes, and I mean, they now have 12 offices here. And one of the things that, you know, you and I both know about Charles is that he's probably one of the most passionate people about his brands in this business business but has yeah. been very selective in terms of how it how it grows um, and I know that you know you guys are chomping at the bit to to grow this but in the right way I also think too um, one of the things that I have really loved um, 
watching you and also even hearing in this podcast is talking about this giving back and, you know, mm -hmm. also being a part of the industry in other ways. And, you know, one of that is your participation on various different advisory boards. And I know that you've mm -hmm. been on, on a lot of them, but, you know, I, I think that has this kind of helped you in terms of leveling up and growing your skill set that you're then able to implement into your businesses? Absolutely. And so, you know, if I look at my board work, uh, the first charitable board that I served on uh, was uh, is called Rebuilding Together. And it's a, a US-based board uh, where uh, we rebuild uh, homes and help fix homes for underprivileged homeowners that can't do it on their own. And uh, there are many, many uh, people like that that, um, you know, have been, uh, have inherited a home, uh, have, uh, you know, served uh, and, you know, don't have a job now, are disabled, um, et cetera. And so that was a great board. I ended up being, um, uh, chairing that board for two years. And uh, then I, um, you know, it was time to move on. And I uh, found a, you know, something that I became very, very passionate about. And uh, I met a young uh, man, he was actually speaking at a conference, who uh, his dream was to build homes for uh, people in third world countries that didn't live in a home, uh, homeless. And so I uh, talked to him afterwards and said, listen, um, you know, do you have any corporate sponsors? No. Um, and, you know, he had only built 15 homes in Haiti at that time. So we started working together and it took a year, um, but we created uh, the first corporate uh, sponsorship and partnership. And so um, through those efforts and the efforts of our brokers, agents and friends within the industry, uh, we built a 91 home community in El Salvador uh, that is home to 500 uh, people that were living in uh, dirt huts before that. So, and so it's, they, you know, um, bought the homes um, and uh, well, they were there, they pay back, uh, you know, in their small wages for the home. So they do end up owning them, but each home was the 6,000 uh, American dollars. And so that was a great accomplishment. And now that is a community. So it's never just about the home. Uh, you know, it's a sense of community. And so now that is a thriving community uh, for families and children, and it's growing bigger and bigger with more children being born, et cetera. So uh, that was um, and continues to be a passion of mine. Now, the other uh, board that um, I'm on, advisory board, is a, um, a startup, uh, female uh, millennial founded uh, wine company. And so uh, what they do is um, they uh, can wine. So, um, and you know, it's not just any wine, it's blended themselves. So they're very passionate about wine and I've known them for several years. And so I'm actually uh, working closely with the founder, uh, Al Angela Allison. And um, she's a wonderful young woman who's going to do great things. So um, I like wine and, um, and I like helping people. So perfect match. <laughs> and women. I like helping women. So it was kind of like 
you know, a natural. So it worked. <laughs> What's well, really interesting, you talking about this eye for inclusion and talking about having this social consciousness and also helping others. You know, you can see that this is who you are through and through. And, you know, it's also what's what's, you know, the ethos of the business that you're you're pushing through. But the other part that I love so much about you, you know, Sherry, and we've talked about this earlier that we would cover off is technology. And the fact that you really embrace innovation because in a world where you know the average lifespan of a ceo here in here in australia is a bit over three years i mean you have obviously had a magnificent run where you have continued to level up and upgrade and in fact embrace technology i think is nothing short of remarkable in fact you've been named inman's innovator of the year twice now is that correct um once innovator of the year but uh I've been, you know, on Inman's lists for a number yes. of years. So, yeah. You certainly have. But you're also one of the first to embrace looking back way back when the BlackBerry, um, mm -hmm. you know, which was very important for how we, we did business at that time. I guess what I want to ask you today is what can, what can you, what do you see that we can do that is going to sort of stay ahead of the curve? What's the next thing to adopt that you believe? You know, uh, this might be a strange answer for you, but uh, the next thing that we need to do is actually use the technology that we have. So if we look at uh, brokerage companies, adoption rate of, you know, simple technology tools like uh, CRM, as an example, uh, et cetera, is typically low. So as an industry, uh, the adoption rate is in the high teens and it should be, you know, like 70% um, adoption rate and it's much lower than that. And so until we get all of the people who are very serious about selling real estate using uh, the technology that we have today, uh, you know, the next shiny object, we always run to the next shiny thing and... <laughs> Right, and Very true. you know, it usually it usually takes several years to, uh, you know, to uh, actually continue to be developed so that it really is usable. And as agents and brokers too, if we spend all of our time, you know, running after the next shiny piece of technology, uh, we're never going to be using what we have and actually effective effectively communicating with the end consumer. Because think about this. What the consumer is looking for today is a couple of things. First of all, they want the transaction to be very simple from end to end. Uh, they want to be able to look at uh, where their documents and approvals and everything is online seamlessly. Um, and they want to be able to communicate with their agent in the way that they choose to communicate. And would you think that in the year 2020, that we could actually achieve that? <laughs> um, not quite yet, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So um, that's where we need to take a step back. And, you know, for me, I was an early um, adopter of technology. When you mentioned the BlackBerry, uh, you know, this was another piece of luck, uh, you know, being able to identify an opportunity and act upon it. Uh, I, in Canada, the headquarters of uh, Research in Motion that uh, created and, you know, built and developed the BlackBerry was very close to where my corporate headquarters was. And so we, um, you know, uh, put our hand up and said, you know, we, we'd like to test it. 
because uh, this BlackBerry could have an application within the real estate industry. And so we were one of the first users of the BlackBerry. Of course, back then it had virtually nothing on it. And the predecessor to the BlackBerry was what we called a pager. Do you remember a pager? <laughs> yes. yes. So, of course. So, you know, we'd page someone and say, call the office. And uh, you'd have to figure out how to actually do that. So um, it's, you know, the use of technology has continued to evolve. And now I wouldn't be without my uh, iPhone, uh, my iPad, and, you know, my computer, of course. And I try and use uh, those simple tools uh, to keep in touch with people every day and also read what is relevant and not get bogged down uh, by having a hundred apps on my phone that I can't even remember. You know, once you reach a certain age, your memory starts to go. And so you think, did I actually download that uh, sometime? So you just have to simplify everything. Yeah. Well, it's this honesty, I think, that makes you so, you know, approachable as a CEO and as a leader. Um, and in fact, one of the most followed, because you're still the number one CEO in real estate on, on Twitter. So I, I love hearing this. But, you know, how have you cultivated being approachable when you have so many people that are a part of your business? It's by responding to people and, uh, and you know, not just responding, but uh, people are, uh, you know, frightened sometimes to reach out. Some aren't. Uh, they're very bold and they'll reach out. But, uh, you know, it's um, taking the initiative, congratulating somebody for a job well done, uh, noticing things on social. Uh, you know, um, as you may know, I love the color pink and, um, you know, noticing when somebody has a nice pair of pink shoes on, creating a network within a network of, people who, uh, you know, are like-minded in their thought process, which brings me to something that I do want to share with you. And, uh, you know, there, and, uh, you know, you can Google it and your um, listeners can Google it, the audience can Google it, but um, there is a movement called Generation C as in Charlie. And uh, what it is, is um, it's not defined by age. Um, it's actually defined by uh, cultural alignment. And so um, if I'm on Instagram as an example, and you know, I'm thinking, I wanna look at all things pink today, um, you know, which might sound absolutely crazy to everyone except the two of us. And so I'll you know, type in hashtag pink and all of this stuff comes up and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, oh, um, you know, there is a really nice pink chair. I wanna find out you know, who the designer was, uh, reach out, start a connection. Uh, generation C is the connected generation. And it really is, uh, it's all about people connecting with one another, no matter what their age is, but uh, based on common likes and cultural alignment. And so I like emerging artists. And so, uh, you know, many of them are much, much younger than me, but we have something in common that uh, we have a love of art and, uh, you know, a love of creating art differently sometimes. And so um, that's where you really are able to deepen, uh, you know, yourself as an individual and also uh, the relationships that you have with people. So um, that's been, you know, an important part. And when I started reading about it several years ago, I thought, oh, that's what I've been doing all these years. There wasn't really a name for it. 
So, you know, um, it's, uh, um, it's how you live your life and that's how you're approachable. You know, I think you either are or you're not. <laughs> exactly right. But, you know, I think this tone of voice and what you have created and this approachability is very strong because when I think of you, I think not only are you a gun, but I also think fun. And I think, you know, even looking at you right now, I can see there's a beautiful piece of artwork behind you. And of course, it's in this fabulous color pink. It's in uh, this pink. And so this, thank you for noticing this. So here's a story and, you know, things can be expensive or not expensive. The cost doesn't matter. What matters is that you like it. And so um, I uh, bought this piece probably, I'm going to guess like 12, 13 years ago. And uh, it's, her name is Chloe Aww. and she's the niece of the artist. And I was drawn to it because of the pink. And uh, so um, it was a, you know, young um, artist at the time, just starting his career. And I, um, I bought the painting from him and, you know, I've, I've had it with me ever since. Uh, and so the funny thing is, is that some artists make it and some artists don't, you know, some artists become very famous. Other artists just do it because they love it. Mm -hmm. And so this artist does it because he loves it. And so well, one day I was in the uh, liquor store in, uh, in Madison, New Jersey. Yes. And, <laughs> and so this guy came up to me and so he said, Sherry, um, you know, and he said his name and um, he said, do you remember me? And I said, yeah, I think so, but I'm trying to place you. And so he said, uh, you know, I, I painted that, I painted Chloe that you bought. I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I said, do you work here? Yes. Uh, part-time because he's supplementing his, you know, income as an artist. And so um, I see him, you know, from time to time. And uh, that's like a 12-year relationship. And, uh, you know, that is, uh, he's told all of his friends in the liquor store who I am and everything, which is embarrassing because I don't really frequent it all that often. But, you know, that's just a story of life. It's a story about life. And connection. And the impact that you had on one person's life. You know, I probably bought that piece of art when he really needed some money. And, uh, you know, we always, and it's, and it stuck with me. I mean, I've got, uh, you know, some interesting art, but I'll never get rid of Chloe because I really like her a lot. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much for, for sharing this story. And I like the fact that you talk about how this piece has stayed with you for 12 years, because mm -hmm. obviously this is one of the things that is also makes up who you are as, as, a, as a person, as a human being, as a woman, as a business leader, because you've now been with, um, with Rilogy for a number of years. And when the average shelf life of a CEO, as I mentioned in Australia, is a bit over three years, in America, I believe it's around eight. I mean, you have now been with the company for a remarkable period of time. Tell me, what, what keeps you there? I, you know, I love the philosophy of Rilogy. Um, the leadership is very strong. Our CEO uh, of Realogy is very smart. And uh, I, I love his style of leadership and how he, uh, you know, brings us through all of the trauma of being in the real estate industry. And so why go somewhere else? Um, you know, it's that shiny 
object syndrome that many people, uh, you know, that many people have. And it's the same uh, in our in our industry as well, where I've seen, you know, people that I know that have left our company uh, for various reasons. And I can tell that, you know, they're not as happy um, having left. And so you what you have to do as a businesswoman, um, as an executive, as a leader is you have to forge your own path. And unless things are unbearable or there's a, you know, cultural difference or you're not on the same wavelength, you can make it happen. And, you know, there's another reason, but this isn't really a reason is that, you know, as, as executives, we are, uh, you know, tied down to a certain extent. Um, through our compensation, et cetera. So it's not easy to leave, nor should it be, because uh, that's the way, you know, the corporate world works all around the world. And so I'm very happy uh, where I am and I have no, uh, you know, ever have a thought of leaving. And um, until there's a day where, um, you know, I'm not valuable anymore. Um, in this role, whenever that time may be, or if there's someone else who can come up and, you know, take it to the next level, then I'll happily set, step aside and allow that to happen. And, uh, you know, I'll move on to the next phase of my life. Mm. But uh, that is, um, you know, that's uh, where I am. But it is interesting that you, you talk about this because obviously there are challenges as there are in any time in life. As humans, we are seasonal and that comes down to relationships and also where we work. And I think, you know, this conversation around, you know, levelling up and finding the resources from external in order to make it work, we often see in our industry that, you know, agents and brokers and independent contractors, they do look for this kind of shiny beacon that is going to make everything better when we know that really this is the vehicle and the work needs to come internally. So thank you for sharing that and, and talking mm -hmm. about that. I also think that your message talking about, you know, um, being responsible and also being tied in is is one that can sometimes be hard to balance when you're working with with shareholders because you you know you have a number of different audiences you have you know obviously the the agents you have the consumers and then you have you know management and shareholders how do you balance all of that together well that is uh, you know let me use COVID as an example uh, with that is that you know we have four different constituents. Uh, we have our employees, we have our shareholders, we have our broker owners and our agents. And so um, when, you know, COVID hit, what we did is, first of all, we needed to take care of our employees. And so we wanted to make sure that everyone was safe. And with that, we closed all of our offices and our headquarters and set our people up to work at home. Then we had to also look out for our shareholders because they've invested in our company and it's important for them to be taken care of as well. So with that, we all took a reduction in our compensation to make sure that our company remains stable and uh, you know, did other internal things like furloughed um, a small group of our employees. So we didn't want to cut off their benefits. So we basically put them on an unpaid leave of absence so they could still collect health benefits and in the event that they got sick. And so now we're starting to bring those, those people back. So 
Um, you know, so we looked after our employees the best that we could. We looked after our shareholders by, you know, quickly uh, jumping into what things might look like in the future and how we needed to right size, uh, you know, ourselves and our spend. And then uh, with our brokers and agents, we needed to uh, over communicate with them and make sure that they were safe and that we were providing them with the assistance that they needed from you know, a sales, a training, a uh, motivational, and a health aspect too. We had, uh, you know, one session where we had two experts on on mental health uh, talking to uh, everyone in the industry. We opened it up to everybody um, about how to take care of yourself first. And so um, I think we executed very well on all of the different um, you know, buckets that we had um, in front of us. And now we're starting to come out of this and uh, the market is starting to strengthen. Um, our employees, for the most part, are, are happy um, and our shareholders are happy and I believe our brokers and agents are as well. So you just have to look at each different group and determine, you know, without harming uh, the, you know, all of the other groups, how you can best deal with it. And, um, you know, it was a good exercise and one that I believe is working. Mm. What's well, interesting, you know, talking about this particular setback, because, you know, that has been huge for society, it's been huge for business and huge for, you know, for individuals. But in your career, has there been a time that has been challenging where you have had a setback or, you know, something, a moment that you found particularly difficult that you've needed to overcome? Absolutely. And so, you know, probably that time would have been um, in 2008 in launching uh, the brand uh, Better Homes and Gardens in uh, July of 2008. And in September, you know, the financial markets collapsed and uh, there was you know, virtually no lending, uh, you know, no mortgage lending, everything collapsed. And here we are, uh, a startup brand with no revenue. <laughs> um, coming in and people terrified to, you know, sell, to buy a franchise. And yeah. so that was the most challenging time to overcome. But again, that's the time that you have to go deep within yourself and uh, believe in yourself and believe in the brand, believe that you can do it. And we're not in a short-term scenario. We have a hundred year licensing agreement. And so we're going to do the very best that we can. And um, and that's, we came out of that. Um, but, you know, there were days, um, no question about it, mm. as we all as human beings experience those days. And as you mentioned there, you know, we all do make, make mistakes from time to time. Has there been any mistakes that you feel that you've made in your career that you've had to publicly kind of acknowledge that's been difficult to do? You know, I don't, I look at every uh, mistake um, that, you know, people would call a mistake as a learning experience. So, uh, you know, you learn how, um, you learn not to do something again. If you make the same mistake twice, then it is a mistake, but everything's really a learning experience. And for me, um, I am, you know, what I'd call um, a, um, you know, a moderate risk taker. And so what I look at is, you know, what's the worst case scenario um, if I'm making a decision, a big decision, or even a small one, and what is the potential upside? And so I just gauge that. And if I'm willing to 
um, accept the worst case scenario to take the risk, then I'll move forward with it. And so some people might call that a mistake, but I don't look at, I don't look at it that way. Um, it's, it's a, it's a learning experience and opportunity. Uh, I love so, the way um, that you I love the way that you, you put that. I think that that's incredibly powerful and the way that we should be living life. And it's not always easy to embrace and do, but good, <laughs> you know, I think that's really inspirational for a lot of people. Tell me, what are you most proud of in your, in your career? Oh, you know, I'm just proud of all of the people that I work with. And, uh, you know, I, um, what I like to do is surround myself with people who are smarter than I am. And I know what my strengths are. And so I like to balance my strengths with, with others. I'm not afraid to do that. And so that's allowing others to shine and grow within their careers. And uh, that has given me a lot of satisfaction. And, uh, you know, the fact that I'm from a small town in Canada. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I've had just, uh, um, it's been a really, really good run. And um, it's never easy every single day, but um, I'm very happy with the way that things have turned out and um, happy to be able to give back to the industry, really. Well, I think that that's one of the reasons why you are so um, beloved in, you know, all throughout the world for that particular reason. And I love that piece of advice there. But, you know, do you have any more for anyone who is currently, you know, perhaps an agent or is in management and wanting to really, you know, move up and become a CEO? Because there's not that many positions, but they might aspire to that. Do you have any advice for them? I would say, you know, I'll go back to something that I said earlier, and that is that you get paid for, you know, your job description, what you do above that. Uh, you know, shows your leadership ability. And so go above and beyond. That's how you get chosen for roles. And for me, my career, I mean, I never sat, um, you know, anywhere as a young woman saying, I'm going to be the CEO of a real estate brand. Didn't do it. Uh, but what I did do is I said to myself, I want to be a regional manager um, and manage a group of offices. Then I want to uh, manage all of the offices and then you know and then and then and then and so uh you just do your very best um achieve your goal they should all be plateaus and uh you'll see where you end up i love that growth consistency and plateaus and then level up and then growth and cons and and that's exactly. obviously what's so much so easier yeah. <laughs> Cherry Chris, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. For those of, of, of our listeners and watchers, tell us how can they find you if they want to engage with you and, and watch you on social media? Well, you know, my, it's just my name, S-H-E-R-R-Y-C-H-R-I-S. And uh, that is me on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and soon although i won't be doing dance moves on tiktok <laughs> love it sherry thank you so much sherry thank you for having me and i hope you have a wonderful day i know it's uh daytime there and it's evening time here so thank you i appreciate your time and it was a pleasure seeing you sherry thank you that was amazing so inspirational and i'm so grateful because oh, i know it's you. getting so late over there. Thank you. Oh, well, you can see that it's still sunny because, uh, you know, I know that I was having some, I could see the lighting was, uh, 
going uh, a little wonky. So hopefully it'll show up okay. I think most people choose to listen to it audioly anyway. So, but we do have some yeah. people watching. So, but look, okay. I'm, I'm so grateful. Lots of amazing gems there. And, and thank you so much for your time. So very, very much That's appreciated awesome. and cherished. Thank you, Sherry. And I hope to see you in person somewhere sometime soon. And <laughs> let's make sure to keep in touch. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, what a way to finish up the season. Such an insightful interview today with Sherry. You know, really talking about mentoring, talking about leadership, seeing about where the industry is going and really, you know, embracing collaboration and innovation. I love her social consciousness and how she is all about her agents and also the consumers. I think that was a magical way to finish off the season. Throughout this series, we have had 12 interviews of high-performing agents and principals to thought leaders and experts that are external to the real estate industry that specialize in disruption and in social media. We've talked around their journeys to building their careers, their businesses, and their best lives. I've also given you some of my strategies for leveling up and becoming power agents, from going from zero to hero, to becoming a legitimate option in your marketplace and becoming the agent of choice, from growing revenue, GCI, and building teams and EBUs to becoming the number one in your franchise group. I've given you tools to build your celebrity profile, build your presence in the marketplace by dominating digitally, physically, and also the letterbox. I've also given you strategies to build long-term relationships with buyers and sellers to not only ensure repeat business, but to also make sure that you are their agent of choice. I've given you proven sales systems and structures to work faster, better, more profitably, and most importantly, work less. We've talked technology, professionalism, embracing the new, and how being a student of this industry will always see you win. And most importantly, I've given you all of this for free with a lot of freebies along the way. So if you haven't already, go and check out the past episodes, have a listen, and I'll keep you posted for my next season. This is actually going to be a bit of a change in pace, and I'm really excited because we are going to pivot, but I can't wait to bring it to you. I also wanted to thank my amazing sponsor, List Ready, because without their support, this simply would not be possible. And I love that they were all about giving back to this industry, giving, you know, amazing and remarkable free content and being on board with that. So thank you so much, List Ready. I also wanted to give a special thank you to Clay Howes, whose interview I feel was very insightful and very well placed, uh, talking around, you know, COVID and disruption, whether it be happening, you know, in your marketplace, in your industry, or in society as, as a whole. Clay, I know that you don't love to do interviews, so thank you so much for letting me twist your arm. So if you truly are keen to build your very best life and harness the power of your real estate career, implement proven sales systems and structures, leverage your result, build your own celebrity profile, and learn how to build your own team and EBU whilst making more profit and working less, then perhaps you may wish to engage in some coaching with me whether it might be a 90-day mentoring program or some one-on-one -on -one agency or agency strategy. You might also decide that at the very least, you wish to be a part of the Build Your Best Life coaching program. 
This is something I'm so incredibly proud of because as an agent, it's a system I put into place in 2012 and I've carefully tweaked it and perfected it along the way. It now includes webinars, coaching forums, and a success manual, which is released every single quarter. It holds you accountable, it gives you templates, and it gives you systems and structures. So if you want to find out more about this, head to my website, go to sherrystora.com, and you will find everything that you need laid out in front of you. Thank you so much for tuning in and thanks for being a part and for your support of season one. Thank you.